So if you would take your Bibles and go to Revelation 21. And just, just accept that we're going to be in Revelation. Okay. Revelation 21, uh, just verses 1 through uh, the first part of verse 5. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Uh, let's pray for our time, please. God, we are so thankful for this life that you have given us, uh, that you have made us new in your Son, that through faith we uh, have hope in our salvation, that um, we can look forward to uh, such a great thing as we see here in Revelation, and, and we can know and live in those truths here today. Uh, please be with us this morning, that it would be your word that is received, that your Spirit uh, speaking to us and uh, convicting us and encouraging us uh, of your truth and who you are. May this time be glorifying to you uh, as we enjoy our time spent in your word. Amen. So it's quite easy to be overwhelmed with the troubles of this world, right? As we get caught up in, in the things of this life, uh, we quickly, and I think sometimes all too easily, uh, we just lose sight of what is our hope. Uh, our hope that is our salvation in Christ, right? We forget the promises, we forget, and we suddenly see these, these vanquished foes of the world uh, that are the worries, and they become these defeating fears in our lives. These things that Christ has conquered, that through faith we experience his victory and live in his victory of the cares and the worries and the trouble of the world, we lose sight of that truth at times, distracted by the things of this world, and they become for us like these, these fears that can often feel defeating. And so this morning, I want to just call our attention and our focus to our hope, right? What is awaiting us? What all of this is for? What our future looks like as God's people, as Christians, the work that God will complete and what that completed work looks like. So I want to call us to set our eyes upon the hope that is and is to come. And for we who are in Christ, there is hope that extends far beyond this life. So Revelation 21, John sees a new heaven and a new earth. He's given this vision. And, and this isn't new, right? There's lots of weird, new, strange, confusing things in Revelation. Uh, but this, this idea, this truth of a new heaven and a new earth and the form of passing away is not uh, unique to Revelation. Uh, just one example in 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, 
and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Right, so this is, this is familiar to the Bible. And, and as we talk about this new heaven and this new earth, it's not just this physical uh, newness, this physical recreation. It's not just new trees and mountains and um, whatever, a new heaven, uh, stars and whatnot. But it's, it's a complete newness in the very nature of our existence, right? It's a place where righteousness dwells, a place where there is known nothing but righteousness, goodness, and purity, and it is, it is new, yes, physically, but so much more it is new in just all of its existence, right? Its very nature is righteousness, Specifically, it's a creation that's free from all evil, right? And this is kind of pointed to at the mention of the absence of the sea, when John says that the sea was no more. There's a new heaven and a new earth, for the former had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, there's debate, just like everything else in Revelation. How literal is this? Um, who knows? We'll find out one day. Uh, but what's important is what it means, right? Whether there will literally be no sea or if it's just metaphorically there's no sea, even though it's actually there. Um, what it's symbolic of, what it represents, is that there's, there's no evil. There's a complete lack of evil. Evil has been removed. There's not a thought. There's not a hint. There's no evil. And... And we can get that because throughout Scripture and in Revelation, the sea is kind of representative of uh, death, evil, and rebellion against God. In Revelation 13, the beast rises from the sea, and it says that it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. And so the beast is not a good thing. Uh, and it comes from the sea, and, uh, and so the sea in that sense sort of representing evil in the place of evil. Uh, Isaiah 51 says that the wicked are like the tossing of the sea, right? So in various places in, in Scripture, we kind of see that the sea is attributed to the wicked or the evil or to death. Uh, again, Revelation 20:13 says the sea gave up the dead, Right? So literal or metaphorical lack of a sea in this new creation symbolically represents no evil. A lack of evil. Absence of a sea, absence of evil. And this passage, this section is so great because it's, it's so different and it's so new, right? We can't even imagine it. We can certainly try, and that's what we're doing this morning, and, and we can focus and dwell on and, and sort of try to place ourselves in this new creation. But we have no idea what an existence completely free of evil will be like. We are so just 
submerged in this world and this sin. You can't get away from it, right? This evil. We're just so used to it. It's just, it's just the way life is for us right now. And, and it's not just out there. It's not just, yeah, that evil out there. All that stuff those people are doing out there. It's this evil that's in here. It's in our hearts as well. It's in each one of us individually, right? And for the Christian, the evil that we struggle to uh, put to death in Christ. But it's still there, right? For a reason and for purpose. And so we can never really remove ourselves from, from what we know, right? This is all we know, is this struggle against evil. And, and so as we go through this this morning, I mean, really just try to imagine what that would be like. You can't even get close, but I want, I want us to try, right? To just really focus on this is what it's going to be like. No evil. No evil out there. No evil in here. No sinful intent. No struggling with sin or guilt. No wondering, did I do the right thing or did I do the wrong thing? It's, it's gone. Free. No, I'm no evil. It's great. It's going to be great. It's crazy. Right? So John goes on and talks about how God is going to dwell with his people. Right? So evil has been removed. Right? And the incredible, amazing existence that that will be. The creation will exist completely separate from evil. Now God can take God's people can take their place on the new earth and God himself will dwell with them. God himself will dwell with them. He says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Right, again, this is, this is incredible, right? Oh, there's no evil, that's great. And what God is coming, not just for a visit, he's moving in. This new Jerusalem coming down from God also has differing interpretations. Right? There's not a single word in Revelation that's not debated. What does this mean? Uh, how literal is it? Um, but the point, again, is that God is joining his people, that God is becoming one with his people, right? Completely free from any hindrance or any barrier, right? No more sin, no more evil. It's gone. God will dwell with his people, and he will be their God. It says his people are prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Revelation nineteen seven and 8 says that this adorning is righteousness, Right? It says, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. God's people, you and I, in Christ, who are God's people, will, will be adorned with righteousness as we enter into this new creation, that that there will be no other characterization of us except righteousness and purity and holiness. We're clothed in righteousness, covered in purity. Perfect. I mean, perfect. 
perfectly complete, perfectly pure, perfect. Christian, you need to know, you need to remember, you need to realize that you will one day be perfect. That God's work in your life will be completed. It'll be finished. And you will be perfect. Of course, not because of anything you have done or could do, but because of the work of Christ that has been worked out in you. That his work in you will be completed. But God's work in your life, right, the sanctification, the process, will be completed and you will be perfect. You will know nothing but righteousness. You'll know nothing but purity. You will know nothing but holiness. You won't have a sinful thought. You won't have a sinful memory. Perfect. Again, what is, how can we even begin to grasp that concept of this is who we will be. This is who God is making us into. You know, we can't get all the way there, but, but to place ourselves in this reality is exciting and is humbling and it, is, it gives us hope and it stirs up in us life. So you will be perfect. God will complete his work in your life. And if you don't know this yet, or if you've forgotten, let us be reminded that God desires to be with you. He's not just tolerating. He's not, he's not just, I'm going to put up with you. Okay, you squeak by. God desires, is motivated by his desire to be with you. Not for a moment, not for coffee or lunch, for all eternity. We need to know that. We need to accept that God loves us, that God likes us. And that he wants to be with us. He wants to be with you. Everything that he has done has been moving towards this moment that we're reading about where he comes and he dwells eternally with his people. Everything has been made new, including you, so that God can be completely one with his people. Creation was established so that he could be with man, right? When he created the heavens and the earth, and Adam and Eve, it was so that he could dwell with them, so that they would be his people and he would be their God, right? In Genesis 3.8, says that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And this is at an unfortunate point in the story, but still we see that God is there. He's in the garden. I don't think this is just a one-time thing. This was regular. He spent time with, lived with, dwelled with Adam and Eve. And you can follow this, this theme straight through the Bible. You can see this time and time again. It's no secret. Exodus 29, 45, and 46 says, I will dwell among the people of Israel, and be, I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them, I am the Lord their God. And so here it says, why did God bring them out of Egypt? So he could dwell with them. Leviticus 26, 11 and 12, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, 
and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. Walk, um, God is declaring of his own free will. No one is saying, asking him, hey God, do you think maybe you could make this your plan? He has said it from the beginning that he would walk among his people, that he would dwell with his people. Ezekiel 37, 23 through 28, they shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them and they shall, have all, they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. I shall be an, it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will set them in their land and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Over and over and over again. We're not done. And this isn't all of them. Second Corinthians 6.16 For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God is saying to his people time and time again throughout all of human history, I will sanctify you so that I will dwell among you, so that I will walk with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. We will live in perfect unity and inhabit the same space. God wants to be with you. And if that is not a difficult truth to understand, then I, I mean, it is. That, that God, right, and all of who he is, perfect, righteous, powerful, glorious, lacking in nothing, his desire is to be with you. And all the work that he is doing, that he has done throughout human history is, is to make it so that he can dwell among us. So we have this new creation, new heaven, new earth. Everything is perfect, no evil. God's people inhabit the earth in righteousness and holiness and purity. God himself comes down to dwell with his people. It's beautiful. It's glorious. It's exciting. What does that look like? What's that going to be like? And again, we're grasping for things that we cannot that we cannot reach, but grasping nonetheless. In a world where there's no evil and God is your neighbor, what's that going to be like? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I mean, it just gets better and better. And it's really it's the same description of the same thing in different words. Right? 
a new heaven and a new earth where there is no evil in any way, shape, or form. Almighty God himself has set up his home in this place with his people. And what does that feel like? What does that look like? He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, no more mourning. There will be no more crying, no pain, no suffering, no hate, no hurt. Who doesn't want that? Is that not what we all strive for? Is that not what we all want? And, and I feel like when John has seen this vision, the only way he can describe what it's like is to describe what it's not like. Because I don't know if, if I mean, I don't want to say what John was experiencing, but I, I cannot imagine what this looks like. If, if I was seeing this, if I am, as I read this and I picture and imagine this reality in my mind, I don't, I don't have words. There are no words. There's no way to put together any string of words to describe what this would be like because I just don't know. I, have, I just, I cannot know. And so I think the only thing that I would be able to say is, well, there's no death. I don't see that. There's no mourning. Nobody's crying. God has wiped away every tear. All, all we can say is, is what there isn't, because we don't, know what there, we don't know what that will look like. Joy, obviously. Hysterical laughing nonstop, I don't know, right? He will wipe away every tear, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for these things are passing away. They're gone, they're dead. Death has died. And these tears that are being wiped away, they're not, um, they're not tears of regret or remorse, right? Uh, I think this question awfully, awfully, often comes up um, sometimes, and it's, if you were before God, right, in person, if you, or when you see God, what, what are you going to say? And, and I think for some of us, a lot of us, maybe all of us, our kind of reaction to that question is, I was just sorry. Man, did I, did I mess it up? And we would just be sorry. And we'd probably think that we'd just be in tears over how sorry we were for how we had failed him. First off, I don't think that's right at all. I don't think any of us who are in Christ will have that reaction at all. I don't, I don't think that will be it at all. Um, but second, these are not the, the kind of tears we're talking about. These are not the tears being wiped away. It's not the regret and the remorse and the, I should have done better, I should have done different. These, these are the tears from the struggle, right? From the, the suffering, from the constant battling against evil and sin in our life and our world, and it's been removed. The tears that come from just the, the hurt and the pain, that come from the loss of a loved one, from death, right? The tears that are caused 
by encountering evil in this life through the struggle will be wiped away. We will be comforted of those things. We'll be free of those things. God himself. And I just, I, I picture this literally happening. That, that Jesus, right, as a human, will stand before me and he will comfort me. He will reach out and wipe the tears from my face. He will wipe the struggle away. He will wipe away the suffering. And it will be no more. And we'll talk and laugh and I don't, I don't know what we'll do. Play frisbee golf. Um, this is what this is what's going to happen did you, did you know that this is what it's going to be like God is showing John telling him to write it down so that we could read it saying this is what it's going to be like this is it this isn't some fantasy some hey you know if it works out this way that'd be great this is what it will be like. No evil. Living with, living among, God with us. Free from the evil and the suffering. No more death, no more mourning, no crying, no suffering. It will be gone. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. He's doing it right now. He has done it already. And so when I, I mean, I love this passage and getting, um, you know, having all this time to spend just reading through it over and over again. I'm just constantly at this place of just, I, I don't know what to think, I don't know what to say. Um, because it's just, it's amazing. I'm just in awe of what this reality will be like to live in fully and completely. And I'm also struck by how, how little I think of it. How I get so caught up in, man, work really sucks today and life is stupid and I just can't handle it anymore and what is the point of it all and is it ever going to end and it just gets swept up in these, these little, meaningless, pointless things, which is everything, right? In, in light of this passage of this truth, right? And not to, not to belittle any suffering or say it's not difficult or it's not, it doesn't have its purpose or it's not meaningful. That is all true. But it is nothing compared to this glory that awaits us. The sufferings of this day, of this life, are of nothing compared to what John has seen in these verses. And so I just want to encourage you, set your eyes upon the hope that is and is to come. Remember this. Like, look forward to this. Be present here and now, right? You know, don't just kind of be absent. But remember what God is doing, what he is preparing. Uh, and when I think of sort of an, analog an analogy for, for hope, um, right, what else can you think of other than the light at the end of the tunnel? And, and I've, I've, I really enjoy this analogy um, 
I really like analogies in general, but this one um, really, I really like it. Uh, so we're going to talk about it a little bit and how um, I think it can help us to understand what do we do with this hope? What do we do with this, with this passage? We've got this to look forward to, but that's great. That's later. What do we do now? Well, I mean, this is our hope. The new heaven and the new earth, no evil. God dwells with his people, no suffering. This, this is it. This is our hope. And when we say it's our hope, it's not to say that it's wishful thinking. I hope things work out this way. That'd be great if the stars aligned and this is how it was. Or I hope God's in a good mood and he actually does this or follows through. Right? But the Christian biblical hope is a certain expectation for something to happen, specifically. And that's what we have. God has told us specifically what it will be like, and so we have a certain expectation that that is how it will be, and that is our hope. It is a truth, it is a reality of how things will be, and we expect it to be exactly as God has said. So, the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, last summer, my wife and I, Laura, uh, were at Snoqualmie Pass with her family for a little weekend away, and uh, which we're going to next weekend. We won't be here. Um, it's supposed to rain. Uh, <laughs> um, we're up at Snoqualmie Pass, rented this house for her uh, extended family, and um, my idea of a good time is sitting on, just sitting somewhere comfortably. Uh, if I can do it while I'm sitting, that's great. Just play games or just sit. Um, but they all wanted to go for, or a bunch of them were going to go for a walk. And I, was, I didn't really want to go, but I was, was kind of indifferent. Um, They're going to go for a walk through this tunnel um, called Snoqualmie Tunnel. It's on, oh, I just read all this information. It doesn't matter where it is. You can find it. Um, and they're going to go for this walk, and, and they're talking about it like, it's a couple miles, it's a really long walk, oh, great. Um, and so we go, and, um, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I never heard of it before. I knew what a tunnel was, obviously, and I know, knew I was in Snoqualmie, but to put the two together specifically, I had no idea what the Snoqualmie tunnel was. And uh, so we're walking, we have to walk to get to the walk, um, and... And we're, um, we're approaching the tunnel entrance, and people are coming out, and they're kind of describing, like, what to expect, and um, it's going to be cold, it's going to be dark. I'm like, yeah, it's a tunnel. Um, and you, you, you come up to this, this huge entrance, right, because it was originally for a train to go through, so it had to fit a train. Um, and they've got these giant doors, and it's just kind of really cool, um, you know, the doors, because they close it for winter. And we start walking into the tunnel, and I think the first thing that I remember noticing was it got cold. Right? I mean, it just, which makes sense, but you don't really think of it. It got cold. Um, and, of course, it was dark, right? It was dark ahead of us, but still we had the light pouring in from the entrance behind us. Um, but it was dark, and you could tell, wow, it's really dark out there. But thankfully, we have this giant hole, um, which is a tunnel, 
letting light in. But you keep walking, and what I didn't know then, but know now, is it's got a slight curve to it, um, and the tunnel is 2.3 miles long. So now it's a long walk. Um, but we're walking, and the light behind you is disappearing because you're going around this corner. There's no light ahead of you. The other end of the tunnel is not visible. And it's 2.3 miles away. Uh, and pretty soon, it's dark. It's dark, right? I would close my eyes and it'd get brighter, okay? It was dark, right? Everyone's got flashlights or glow, the kids all had glow sticks um, because if um, you'd run into the wall, you have no idea where you're going and there's puddles and you don't want to get your feet wet. Um, it's dark. I have never experienced darkness like this before. And so we're walking and it's dark. You see... Um, you see lights appear in the distance and they get closer and closer and it's other people walking in the opposite direction or someone on a bicycle. Um, I don't know why you ride a bicycle through the darkest place on earth. Um, everyone has lights though. But still, like the darkness just gobbles that. Like, it's dark. Your flashlight will get you like right here so you can dodge a pu uh, puddle. But I mean, it is dark. Did I say that? It's dark. <laughs> Um, and, you know, we turn our flashlights off every now and then, and you just are hit with it again, and I, like, try to sneak off and hide so I can scare Alora. Um, it didn't work because she was immediately like, where'd you go? <laughs> um, but soon enough, we're walking, right, 2.3 miles, we're walking and walking and walking. It's cold, and I'm like, why did I do this? Uh, I'm, it's kind of cool how dark it is, but I'm kind of over it. Um, but then there appears this light in the distance. I think, oh, it's another person walking at us. But another five, ten minutes of walking, it's still there, and it's tiny. And I remember thinking, are my eyes playing tricks on me? Do I really see that? It's just this tiny little speck, and it's not changing or moving. It's not getting brighter. And, and after a little bit, I realized that's the light at the end of the tunnel, and I had like this exciting moment, like I'm experiencing this saying for the first time in my life, uh, like in a real, true, meaningful way. And I thought, that, wow, it's so far away. It's this tiny little speck. I mean, you still, I don't know, you still got like a mile and a half to go or something. Um, but there it is. And I went from cold, miserable, I stepped in a puddle, my foot's wet, I can't even sneak away from Alora to scare her. Uh, we've got to make it all the way there and go back. And, and I see this light and I'm like, wow, there it is. There's, the, there's our hope. There's the end. I can make it. This is so cool. Look at that little light. We've been walking forever. And we keep going. It gets bigger and bigger. This is incredible. And it changed me. Right? This light at the end of the tunnel reached into my present state and it changed me. And though it was this future reality that I had not step, yet stepped foot into, that I had not known yet or fully realized, I could see it and know it and know aspects of it. And ex I experienced it and it changed me. It changed my attitude, re-energized me. I was like, let's go. And then on the way back, I couldn't wait to see that light again because it was really cool. If you haven't done it, go do it. Just drive up there for a day, walk through the tunnel. Um, 
But I, but I think this is like, this is our hope. This is our hope in these passages, right? We see it. It's a distant future. It's this distant reality, and we don't really know fully what it's like yet, but we can see aspects of it. And it changes us. It's not just this distant, future, unknown, mysterious reality of what's it going to be like? Maybe it's there. It's there. And it's reaching into your present life and circumstances, feeding you hope and life and energy and changing you. The truth of the new heaven and the new earth is far off. Well, no, it's not far off. Jesus is coming back soon, right? But it's in the future, and we don't know really what it's like. But we can see it. And so it is our hope for the future, and it is our hope for the present. And so to kind of highlight this a little bit, these things that John is talking about are not foreign to us. In fact, everything that John describes, almost everything that John describes, is, is true for the Christian today. Right? Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This new heaven and new earth that you are awaiting, you can know it and hold on to it and grasp, grasp it as your hope because it is true for you today in many aspects. Again, in our passage this morning, it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, Prepared, right, remember, prepared as a bride adorned for husband, adorned with righteousness, purity, holiness. Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. For you right now, today, in Christ, you are righteous. And you will realize more fully that truth and that reality when the new heaven and new earth comes. But right now, it is true. You see it. You know it. You experience aspects of that future reality here now today. It is, it's true already. It goes on, and John records, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And so I hope you see and understand and I hope that we can know that, that there is this incredible reality awaiting us. That it's unlike anything we could ever know. And it can feel so foreign and strange. And what is it like with no evil? Are the trees going to look the same? It honestly keeps coming up in my mind. Like, is creation going to look the same? What is it like with no evil? God is going to dwell. What is that going to be like? But it's not, it's not unknowable. It's not so foreign that you can have no idea. 
right? You are in Christ, a new creation. You know the newness that God produces in people, in you. You know that God makes things new because he has done it to you in Christ. What is it? What is it like to be adorned with righteousness? You know you have every spiritual blessing in Christ, of righteousness, holiness, you're blameless. Um, you, you know that. What is it like, what's it going to be like for God to dwell with his people? There would be no barrier, no hindrance, no nothing. You've got it. Holy Spirit dwells within you. And the struggle with sin in our lives sort of, if you can say, acts like a barrier still. But, but there is no barrier. You can go freely and fully and completely before God in his throne room, in his presence. There is nothing that separates us any longer. And he already dwells within us in his spirit. So yes, we await a day where all of these things will exist without the hindrance of sin, evil, distractions, worries, or fears. But the truth of our hope is that we can know and experience that reality today while we wait. And more than that, to live in the light of our hope in Christ is preparation for the new creation. The world can take your job. The world can take your life. Right? And when I say world in this sense, like just sin and evil as it has corrupted our existence on this earth. Right? It, it, it can take your house. It could take your loved ones. Right? All of these things. It cannot take, it cannot even touch your hope that you have in Christ. The new creation that you are and that you will experience. The righteousness and holiness that you are and that you will be. The perfect fellowship that you have with God and will have with God. The evil and sin in this world cannot take your hope because God has declared it, and so it is, and so it will be. So, but then we come to this last section, right? Verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I think this one we wait for, right? This one, is, is, I think, is a little different than the others because, um, because we are not and will not be free of these things in this life. And that is with purpose, right? That's not just because God's making his way. That's with purpose. That's sanctification. Yes, we have joy through the trial. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, all right, for they are um, purifying your faith. But the trial has not yet been removed. We still know death. We still know crying. We still know mourning. We still know pain. 
but as sure as you can be in the other promises because we know them now, you can trust that God will wipe away every tear. That there will be a day where it's all gone. And it wasn't for nothing. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. This is what awaits you. This is a reality that we will step into one day. These things are passing away. It's not that they will pass away one day. They are passing away right now. 1 Corinthians 7.31, the second half of it, says the present form of this world is passing away. So set your eyes on the hope that is and that is to come. Let's pray. Father, you have revealed to us incredible things. The greatest of these, obviously, is your love for us. And um, what a joy it is to know your love and to live in your love as your people in this life, working through the struggles of sin and evil as we prepare for this new creation. We thank you that you have revealed these things to us, not just so that we must be forced to wait in this uh, terrible existence, but so that we can know these truths now and look forward to them as reality because they are for the Christian, for your people in Christ. They are real, they are true today. Please help us to set our eyes upon the hope that is Christ and the hope that will be Christ in the new creation. Remind us of this truth amidst the circumstances, the struggles, the sufferings of this life. That it would change us and give us the ability to be your people through those circumstances. Please be with us the remainder of this day and our time together. May our fellowship be glorifying to you. And may you be among us here today as we uh, celebrate all that we have in you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave us all these things in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. It is in his name that we rejoice, in his name that we pray and, and worship you now. Amen.